the following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. How are you? I am, uh, I'm away from the microphone here for a second because I just saw a tweet that you sent out and I thought it was very funny, so I'm going to retweet it. There it goes. <laughs> what tweet did I send out that was funny? Homer. Oh, I, I just saw it pop up on my phone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, save image as... Dear rock and roll gods, if you give us concerts back, we promise to stay off our phones at them from now on. My blog just got relaunched today. My blog, my blog site. What? Uh, we redesigned it. It uh, was it the same. Exactly the same as the last time. No, it's not. Look at it. <laughs> I'm looking at it. It's changed. Everything's changed about it's it. It's got the same wood background. It's got the same logo. Yeah, yeah. But the the whole thing is that. Uh, Did you pay for this? Uh, the stuff in the background, the stuff in the back end, and uh, we just have to rebuild it. Well, not just we. I mean, I should say we. It's, it's yeah, it's, we. Like you had anything to do with it? I had nothing to do with it. I, 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 Did you pay for this, by the way? I picked a couple of pictures. No, it was Andrew. Andrew does it for me. Oh, Andrew Dick. Yeah, that guy. That is his name. <laughs> All right, stand by. Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. COVID killed the streaming star as listeners increasingly turned to radio. We'll talk to Zach Zalon of Super Hi-Fi about how he's helping companies as varied as Peloton and iHeartRadio pivot. Plus, an update on our connection to, uh, well, it's not really a connection, it's sort of like a... A lack of a connection? To Los Angeles' comedy scene. Yeah. Awkward. Embarrassing. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. I'm on, uh, I'm on the Geeks and Beats back end, and we have 13 plugins that need to be updated. Oh. Yeah. See, this is how you get hacked is by not updating. Uh, I had a, a former colleague of mine whose website I built for him literally 15 years ago. And when I turned the keys over to him, I said, you got to keep on top of the updates. And he didn't. And sure enough, he got hacked to high heavens. You know what it's like when you upgrade, 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 upgrade. You eventually get some mutations that don't work. No, and that's the problem, is that you have to ask yourself, as a website owner, do I upgrade to the latest versions of these plugins and all sorts of different elements and run the risk of breaking something along the way, or do I keep it as functional as it is with the risk of somebody breaking in? Yeah, I updated my uh, media Mac uh, to, to Catalina the other day, and uh, I've been having some issues with some legacy programs. Yep, yep, as had I. I had to up my uh, uh, subscription to Microsoft 365, of all things. Pro Tools is by subscription. As is ours for the podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, Wait a minute. Why are we paying what? two subscriptions for Pro Tools when we could just be using yours? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> could you imagine you and me fighting over a single license for anything? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mike, can you send the iLock back over, please? 
Oh, that's that's true. Actually, most software packages use a licensing system where you have to enter in an incomprehensible string of like 300 characters for it to unlock. Whereas in the world of digital music editing, Pro Tools has a physical little dongle. It looks like a USB memory stick, but it's actually a piece of security. Yeah. And on the 22nd of every month, Pro Tools goes down and then it comes back up saying refreshing your license. And that just reminds me that, oh, there's another $44 or whatever it is uh, out of the bank account. With this whole COVID-19 situation, from a mental health perspective, I've decided that I'm going to stop accessing Twitter and reading daily news for a week. Yeah, you have to. Uh, I need to detox. It does weigh on you after a while. What is this, week, week seven in lockdown? For some, it's week five. For others, it's week seven. It all depends on the point at which you decided to take this seriously enough to stop going out and glad handing and licking doorknobs. Yeah. So between five and seven weeks, we've all been in, in, in lockdown here. Um, I'm, we're doing okay in our house because, like I said earlier on another program, uh, the wife has her office upstairs. I have mine in the basement. And then the kitchen is basically the lunchroom for, for the office. You've got the same sort of thing with uh, the wife working on the kitchen table. Yeah, the, the, the family's not the issue for me at this point. For me at this point, the issue has more to do with the constant stream of idiocy. Well, there's a lot of that. And we had plenty of it this week with uh, drinking uh, or injecting disinfectant. I don't want to hear it I know. anymore. I know. Okay. All right. First of all, I don't believe for a second, but you, as a man who still makes his dime in the radio game, you must be thrilled to learn that apparently, allegedly, according to some, radio listenership is up and streaming is down? Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you look on both sides of the border, Canada and the United States, you'll see that uh, listening to radio at home is way, way up. It's not so much up uh, in the car because people are commuting less, but at home people are listening a lot more because they want to know what's happening in their community. They want that human touch, and uh, they're looking for some sort of local information, and, and radio does that extremely well. Streaming is going down because it is, for a couple of reasons, first, uh, there's less commuting, so a lot of people listen to streams when they commute. And the other thing is that it doesn't give them information as to you know what's happening in the community. And um, the other issue is that um, hang on, yeah, you're you're stretching. I, I don't believe this for a second because I could only imagine that if you were sitting at home in front of your glowing rectangle, whether it be your smartphone or your laptop or what have you, you're going to have Spotify or Deezer or one of these others running in the background. Billboard claims three in 10 Americans are listening to more radio since the coronavirus outbreak. But that doesn't scream to me that they're turning away from streaming and they're turning instead to traditional radio. Yeah, the, the issue with streaming is that they're not just streaming music. They're streaming all the other things uh, out there, uh, Netflix being one of them. So they're they're doing they're they are streaming, and I get the information from Nielsen Music Canada every week, and I can see how things are going. Actually, in Canada, um, now that you mention it, streaming audio on demand audio streams have actually gone up over the last two weeks after going down for a couple, and streaming video has gone down substantially as people look to other things to occupy their time. 
I'm thinking it's lies, damn lies, and statistics because you could see a decline of 150% in Netflix consumption week over week, and that doesn't make a bit of difference considering we jumped from, you know, the regular usage pre-COVID to a 486% increase over the course of the month of March. Let, let's see if we can sort of dig into the details here with Zach Zalin. He is the founder of Super Hi-Fi, uh, joining us now from uh, the heart of Los Angeles to talk about how streaming can actually adopt all the best elements of the classic radio experience. Good to have you with us, Zach. Hey, good to be with you guys. Are you buying this? Uh, yeah, I, I am, but I, I have a slightly different perspective on it, which is that some of what we're seeing is a natural gravitation towards a desire to get local information that's timely and relevant. And broadcast radio delivers that much better than almost any other format, except potentially, you know, 24-hour day streaming news on TV. So I think that's part of what's driving a lot of the uh, streaming changes that we're seeing. The other part, though, is that you have to remember that the streaming-only services, right, the Spotify's, the Apple Music, um, Amazon Music, they were based around mobile consumption. So their hope was that you were listening in your headphones, in your car, right, maybe at your desk, um, through your phone. That's all changed dramatically in just a few short weeks where the number one form of consumption is either going to be your computer or more likely a smart speaker. And the challenge is, is that they're not really structured for smart speakers the way that traditional radio is or other lean back listening experiences. Because of that, they just haven't really been able to capitalize on the extra amount of time that anybody's spending sitting there listening to music. And so consumers are choosing other things than they might normally choose. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, there are more things to choose from, and the piece of the pie is only it is shrinking a little bit because so many people are going for the same sort of thing, right? Yeah, and I think that that consumers are so much more interested in lean back experiences, and most of the services that have been growing over the past five to ten years are all about on-demand experiences. And again, broadcast radio provides a much better lean back experience than most of these services. Now, I have not seen the most recent statistics, but I would not be at all surprised to find that it's the lean-back-oriented services that are actually getting that extra streaming growth that you were talking about starting to happen over the past two weeks. Now, how much of that has to do with the fact that people are busy working from home, and so this is just wallpaper the way traditional radio would have been wallpaper at the office? Yeah, I think that's right. I think, I think that's why streaming video has gone down uh, to a large degree, is that people aren't just sitting around during the day Binge-watching shows, right? They actually have to get something done. We finally realized we had to work. Yeah. <laughs> but the traditional broadcast experience is actually tailor-made for this type of moment. It's tailor-made for a consumer who's at work, who's, who's listening to music, who wants the music experience, but wants it to be presented to them in a way that also gives them everything else that they're interested in. And uh, nothing but broadcast radio has been able to do that yet. The streaming services just have not adopted any of those techniques to date. And we think that the coronavirus lockdown is going to precipitate a move towards that in a pretty rapid fashion. Here in Canada, we have something called Numeris. Numeris is the equivalent of uh, whatever rating system there is in the U.S. that everybody uses these days. So that used to be Arbitron. I don't know. What is it now? Portable people meter, basically. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we use the same sort of thing. And if you look at things going back through March and into February, you'll see that 95% of the Canadian population has tuned into radio at least once per week. And that a number of people who may not have been big radio consumers, 
uh, age groups 18 to 24 and 25 to 34 are actually listening to more radio than they have in many, many years. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of statistics, though, that show that broadcast radio is still the largest form of music consumption for most American consumers, and that to a, to a shocking degree impacts new music awareness in all age groups of consumers in America. I think it's something ridiculous, like 89% of all new music is actually still found through broadcast radio. Uh, now, that that is uh, two things. First of all, you know, I've got lots of little kids running around the house, so I, I watch them and they're, they're finding everything on, on TikTok. So perhaps that's going to change over the next few years, but for now, it's still the case. But then help me understand how you help a, a radio organization pivot in the age of COVID, particularly if it's a music radio station. If the the underlying premise that radio does something that streaming can't, which is provide an immediacy. And as a guy who spent 11 years in radio, I completely agree and understand that. But music radio has always been time and temperature surveillance. Coming up next, it's Phil Collins, because the moment you start talking, people change the station. Uh, but... But there's such a desire for personality. There's such a desire for emotional connection. And broadcast radio is the only thing that actually has that. I'm not actually sure that people are really changing the station like that. So let me back up for a second, because you asked a very specific question and I want to answer it. You really have two silos when it comes to music delivery. You have uh, internet, right, new media, and you have broadcast or old media. It seems to me that those silos have to the detriment of consumer experiences, tried to stay on their side of the fence. Broadcast radio is wedded to their delivery mechanisms and new media is wedded to their style and technique. And I think that there is a huge opportunity. In fact, I'm actually absolutely convinced that it's not just an opportunity, but this will happen where those lines will start blurring. So I, I'm gonna give you a couple of different examples here. Uh, in the broadcast radio space, personality, production, right? Those techniques, the music that you play, those are all actually really, really important. Uh, but in any one market, in any major market all across America, and I'm guessing over, all over Canada as well, there are always two or more stations that play the exact same music playlist, right? The top 20 songs are going to be exactly the same, maybe in different order from one another. And yet one of those stations is going to do dramatically better from a revenue standpoint and an AQH standpoint. Now, why, why is that? If, if, if the music is exactly the same, why is one station doing so much better from a performance standpoint than the other station? It's not because of the music. It's because of all of the other things that actually come into play. It's the way they produce. Where were you in 1985 when the bean counters took control of radio and said, we're scared to death that you will offend one listener who will change the station. Therefore, we don't want you to act with a sense of personality. We want you to give us time and temperature and turn off the microphone so that the music can play. And to a great degree, that's happened. But for some stations, it, it, it hasn't. And even in the most kind of bean-countered version of broadcast radio, you know who you're listening to because there's a logo, an identifying logo, sonic logo of some sort. There are personalities. They may not be very personable, but you can hear voices that are talking. You know what songs are coming up next. Advertising makes some modicum of sense, and the whole thing is produced with beautiful segues between the songs and the whole thing sounds like it was actually tailor-made for you. On the, streaming, on the streaming side, it is completely the opposite. 
When you are listening through a smart speaker to Spotify, how do you know you're listening to Spotify? Versus anybody else for that matter. You're not listening to a music service. You're just listening to the music that they're delivering. The very files that the record labels delivered them. And so all they are at that point is a pipe that you pay $9.99 a month to for the privilege of getting access to that content. That's not entertainment. That's just access. The listener doesn't give a rat's ass who the DJ is. No, 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 no. The listener doesn't care that it's Spotify or Deezer or what have you. No. The, the station IDs are irrelevant. They're broadcast masturbation for everyone but the listener. No, I disagree. As a longtime radio person, I completely and utterly disagree. Well, of course you do. If you look me up on on, on uh, YouTube, I did a, uh, a TED Talk about... Uh, how streaming is killing music, how it is completely turning this thing into a music, this this art into a commodity that is nothing more than organized noise because it goes in one ear and out the other. And there was no one in the process to give you any kind of context as to what the music means, what who this artist is, what this song is about, where the album is, 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 is from, uh, what the scene is that birthed this music, all that sort of stuff. That's what radio does really well. You got a person who's on the other side of the microphone who explains why we need to turn three and a half minutes of our lives over to this song. No, they don't. Yes, they do. They just <laughs> quote something they saw on Twitter and then throw to the commercial break. So, Well, I don't know what radio stations you're listening to, but you're listening to the wrong ones. Yeah, so so Alan is completely right. Um, there is <laughs> There has never been a brand experience that a consumer has had, a relationship that a consumer has had without there being some identifiable characteristics to the relationship that that consumer has and some differentiation. And without some sort of branded voices, sonic logos, and other elements that radio has actually perfected over the years, they've done a really good job of being able to figure out how to do. Without that, the only relationship that you actually have is with the artist that's playing at that moment, and those services become nothing but commodities. It will just be a race to the bottom, and none of the services will ever matter. And the listeners don't care is all I'm saying. I think from a from a business perspective, it's a very important thing to discuss and it's relevant to ensure that you don't have that race to the bottom because we already saw it in radio. We already saw it in television. Print got it 10 years before the rest of us. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the only thing the listener really cares about is getting back what they're looking for. And if they're not looking for a guy who's going to inanely chatter on about some sort of rehashed Twitter joke, um, they're just going to listen to the music. And when I tell my smart speaker I want to listen to Spotify, I know it's Spotify. Yeah, but you don't know anything about what you're listening to. And I don't care. Yeah, well, then you're not a music fan. That's that what that's what it comes down to. But if the premise is, is that that radio is seeing an uptick because people are interested in COVID, unless Cardi fucking B is screaming about COVID self-distancing, we're not getting that information from music radio. It's the stuff between the songs that you have to really consider. And good radio stations understand that the content between the songs can be as important and as engaging as the songs themselves. And those are the radio stations that are going to thrive in a post-COVID-19 society. They are going to become, once again, like we saw in the 60s, 70s, and through part of the 80s, they are going to become authorities of not only giving you information and entertainment, but also providing context for everything that's happening in your life.
And that's talk radio. That's not music radio. And frankly, I'd rather get my COVID-19 information from the Washington Post than Silly J and the Kooky Morning Show. But that sort of stuff is disappearing. It is not going to be what we need going forward. The other thing about radio is that it is pre-curated. It will, it will often subject you to something that you didn't know you needed to hear or didn't realize that you wanted to hear. And with 60 million songs available on every single streaming platform, there is too much music out there. People are tired of looking for music and creating playlists. What they want is someone with authority, whose judgment they trust, to provide a list of songs in a nice flow that will make their day. That's what radio does and does well. Here's what I think. Um, Look, we've invested very significantly in advanced artificial intelligence to help to bridge the gap between the silos of broadcast radio and and new media content delivery. Uh, The the radio stations have been wedded to their delivery method, which is really pretty old-fashioned, right? They're just basically antennas with lots of power behind it. We knew quite a while ago that this, this movement would ultimately start to happen. And that it was only a really a failure of vision and a lack of really advanced technology that was allowing broadcast radio companies to make the leap or, or stopping new media companies from being able to deliver those types of experiences. So when you, ask for my, when you ask for my thoughts, they're obviously quite biased because we have invested significantly and have really capitalized on that movement actually happening. What we're seeing is the following that there are some people that are just going to want music. And for that, there's just going to be these basic services that provide nothing but playlists, and you can listen to them all day. And then there are going to be people like Alan who want to hear more. And perhaps the COVID news that they want beautifully and elegantly injected into the stream is actually from the Washington Post, not from a morning show. And perhaps the personality that they have is the one that that service wants to be able to broadcast and proliferate in order to create a very specific, unique, identifiable, emotional connection with their listeners. And for those people, these services are starting to emerge. I mean, we know it because we are being hired to help build those or integrate our technology to bring those to life. Like just this week, Sonos Radio was announced, right? Sonos has actually built a service platform with 32 owned and operated broadcast-like radio experiences that play 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with a Sonic logo that they hired Philip Glass to produce, with every song elegantly segued dynamically with volume leveling, it sounds perfect, with voices and brands for every single one of their stations that are uniquely their own, but that are done in a neat new way that doesn't overwhelm you with the personality. It allows the music to still shine, but with a sense of place, trivia facts about the songs and artists you're listening to. And you know that you're listening to something that means a lot to Sonos. They're sharing that with you. That kind of experience is starting to become more and more popular. And from my perspective, just to wrap all the way around to the first question you asked, my belief is that the genie is out of the bottle now with the lockdown, that the these services that don't do any of that don't sound different. And ultimately, over time, they have no experiential benefits from anybody else. They just have a name that you maybe trust, or a credit card that is on file that they can charge every month. And that really ultimately right now is in the process of shifting. I don't think you could put the genie back in the bottle. 
Now, one of the things I want to go back to before we wrap up here is that American radio is substantially different than Canadian radio because of the 1995 Telecommunications Act that allowed for so many radio groups to merge and the, the, the uh, emergence of, of, of companies like uh, iHeartRadio and uh, Intercom and, and, and so many others, which are running into all kinds of financial problems right now. Now, But before this all hit, they were looking to create um, synergies that would allow them to boost profits at the expense of, in many cases, local programming. Uh, I think they're seeing that coming back to haunt them because now they don't have that kind of access into the local communities. And you're seeing companies like Intercom and iHeartRadio furloughing or firing or laying off a lot of people because they turn into real estate companies rather than broadcasters. Well... So again, I'm biased because iHeart's a, a fantastic customer of ours, and we power all of their automated segues and transitions on their digital streams. So we know those guys pretty well. I can tell you that everybody that we speak to at the company when we interact with them are rabid fans of awesome radio experiences. So the only side of it that I see is the side where they love radio, and they're actually not interested in, in uh, shrinking that in any way. What I see in the news, which is where I get the information that you're talking about, is really more about being debt-laden given all the different kinds of private equity deals that they were doing over time and a need for them to be able to ultimately shore up their their balance sheet before they they you know before they continue to grow. As a business, it's actually a very profitable business from what I can tell. Right? A lot of what you're talking about is just the fact that there were so many financial transactions that happened over the years. That kind of burdened all these companies with incredible debt and required them to create these, you know, wild financial gymnastics to get out of it. I'm not sure those two things are are totally linked. Here in Canada, it's completely different because there are all kinds of ownership rules that are still in place. And you can't have more than three. Well, you can have more than two FMs and two AMs in a major market in Canada. Uh, and, and, and do you feel do you guys feel like that's preserved and kind of protected the. I don't want to use the word sanctity because that's almost like too hokey. But do you feel like it's preserved the quality of the experience of radio more? Oh, God, no. Yeah, we do because <laughs> it uh, well, I do because it seems it seems that we, because you have all these you have four or five major broadcasting companies in Canada and each one of them has to have their own unique sort of feel. So you can't have one radio station that is or sorry one radio broadcaster that has like we have in san diego with those seven or eight signals under one roof uh we're limited to four and not everybody even has four and it 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 seems to be it seems to have preserved radio to the extent that there is that choice in the marketplace rather than any kind of homogeneity you know what i mean yeah you and i are going to fall on different sides of the uh conversation on this yeah we're going to follow you because yeah you listen you're but i think even though we all disagree about uh, a lot of this conversation i think there's one thing we can all come together and be very happy to hear as covid kills the streaming star is that rapper cardi b is among the major artists to see their streams take a dip 12 million downloads in the week of february last week of february but only 10 million in the last week of March. So a 17.5% decline in the consumption of Cardi B can't be a bad thing. <laughs> Let me just finish on a couple of other notes. The top 200 streamers... That was a landing! We were done! We're not done because... Your I, point was made! No, here's an epilogue. 
2,200, the top 200 streaming artists are seeing their numbers go down. You know what's going up? Comfort food music. Classic rock, classic alternative, the kind of stuff that people haven't been streaming up until now because either they haven't been into streaming or they were obsessed with the celebrity-driven pop music that uh, has so far. What you're saying is it's not COVID-19, it's more like the COVID-15. You know what? Yeah. You know when we're done here, yeah. I'm I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna come over there. I don't care about social distancing. You can't come over here. I, I'm gonna come over there. I'm gonna give you a slap. Zach, thank you so much for your time. Guys, thank you very much for allowing me to participate in your professional argument. I've actually really, <laughs> I've really enjoyed hearing it. If you want to know more about what we're doing, please go to superhifi.com, and uh, and I hope you guys stay safe. Zach Zalin joined us from Los Angeles. Ever wanted to be a Big Shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. Geeks and Beats producer Shane Alexander is taking part on May 30th on a virtual walk. He's raising funds for Dea Counseling. It's uh, a mental health uh, organization in London, Ontario. And I'm like, what, a virtual walk? What, what is a virtual walk? Because, of course, under COVID, you know, we're not all going to get together and, and do this sort of thing. Uh, they've been doing it for years. I think it's the sixth annual. But uh, the way they'll be doing it virtually is just so long as you get your body moving. You can run, you can walk, you can do yoga, shadow box, that sort of thing. Um, so you will be actually doing this alone as opposed to with the group. A day of counseling, he says, uh, their mission is to make counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So anyone who struggles with life challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. And Shane was saying that he decided to get involved in this because he had a he lost a friend in 2010 who chose to leave the world on her own terms. So if you feel that mental health under COVID-19 is a, a significant issue that needs to be addressed, if you go to geeksandbeats.com, we've got a link to it in the episode notes uh, for day of counseling and uh, the team page. So if you want to support Shane, uh, help us out here at geeksandbeats.com. Nice. We want to say thank you to everyone on our Patreon account uh, who have made it possible for us to continue to make the show here. Uh, of course, among those who are members of the world's worst intern program, and what makes it the worst is you pay us a dollar an episode to work on the program, don't do any actual work, and all we do is say thank you. Tim Heron, Tim Rickard, TJ Webb, Walter McVeigh, Sean Jate, Roland Wood, Rick C. in Oakville, Randy Redikoff, uh, Philip Mueller, Mike Wise, Mike McDonald, not that Mike McDonald, and Microserved. Thank you among uh, those. And uh, on our PayPal recurring payment uh, scheme, uh, if you go to geeksandbeats.com, you've got a couple of options to support the show. Scott Coates, Craig Minette, Jeremy Porter, Grant Ridge, Christopher Hazen, Robin Calda, among others. Thank you very much. We do appreciate the, the support. We just got word that um, our friends over at Cosmo Music have canceled Cosmo Fest. Oh, so many things have been canceled this year. It's not a surprise. It's unfortunate because Cosmo Music Fest is a great event. We've been there for the last couple of years. Really, really, really enjoyed it a lot. But things being what they are, there's uh, there's nothing you can do. That that free festival was an excellent opportunity, not just to you know catch some interesting Canadian musicians, uh, do some of those clinics, learn how to be a better drummer, guitarist, what have you. 
But from a, a business perspective for those people, they I think the, the stat I had seen somewhere was something like 45% of people who showed up to that free festival were people who didn't know it was a music store in the first place, and there was an opportunity to build a business. Yeah. So COVID-19 is impacting companies in all sorts of ways that we had never expected. No, that's true. Uh, it's a little embarrassing, I have to say. We had uh, that longtime listener, Mike McDonald, say that he was going to throw $53 our way because we were only getting 53 an episode on Patreon. Mm-hmm. And I had openly wondered if this was that Los Angeles-based comedian, Mike McDonald, who's a Canadian. Turns out he wasn't. Yeah, it turns out Mike messaged back saying not only was he not the comedian, but one of our listeners also pointed out... Um, Mike McDonald died in 2018. Oh, <laughs> it's a little awkward. Oh, oh, how did we miss that? Oh dear. Yeah. At at 63, uh, he had been a hepatitis C sufferer. He had gotten a transplant for his liver, and then a few years later had complications tied to his heart. And okay, the bucket. Now that you mention it, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Thank you, not dead Mike McDonald, for supporting us. And thank you, dead Mike McDonald, for being such a great comedian for all of those years through the 80s, 90s, and into the 20s. Wow. Do I... Am I... Wow. Embarrassed. Mm, just a little. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.